let me open in prayer and uh, we'll see what, what we have to say. Uh, Lord Jesus, you are the same yesterday, today and forever. We look forward to a city that endures forever. Help us to live our lives worthy of these truths. In Jesus' name, amen. As Tim said, we have come to the final chapter uh, in our Hebrew series. Uh, and in verse 22, the writer says, Brothers, I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written you only a short letter. Hebrews is just a short letter according to the writer. Uh, well, his definition of short may be a little different to mine. About 4,900 words in the original Greek, which typically doubles when translated to English, I'd say would make a very long email today. If Pastor Andrew Bardsley wrote a five to 10,000 word email to me, and he ends it by saying, bear with me, it's just a short email. I'd be a little anxious about what else he has to say when we meet in person. We have this shock announcement of a short letter, but what is the writer actually saying? In Hebrews chapter 5, um, verse 11, he says this, We have much to say. What is he saying? He says, We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. There is much to say, there is more he wants to say, but he can't say it. And yet, I think we've discovered, the book of Hebrews is theologically rich. The writer has, in fact, said a lot. Um, but for each topic, he has been very concise. He has brought up big themes, but condensed uh, so considering the big themes he has brought up, there is much to say, and this is just a short letter. So a small practical point to throw in here, especially as we come to the end of this series, is to say there's always more to learn. There's always more to learn. Know this, every sermon and every Bible study is just a short Letter. I'm sure my fellow preachers can testify every time we give a talk, there is so much we did not say. All those gems that we have left on the cutting room floor. Okay, so there's always more to learn in this short letter. So Hebrews 13, now in this last chapter, Hebrews 13, it is very condensed. In fact, almost every verse for the first six verses is a whole new idea. So are you ready for a very long sermon? <laughs> uh, so to help us navigate this chapter, I'm going to give us the main idea and the main outline. I actually have no back projector, but I can just see it in the reflection on that window, which is helping me. Um, it's giving me an idea anyway. So the main idea is this. Since we are receiving an unshakable, a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let's love one another and honour our leaders. So similar to the main idea, the main outline uh, therefore looks like this. There are two main sections plus a benediction. So verses 1 to 6 is a call to love others. Verses 7 to 19 is a call to honour our leaders. 
And then verses 20 to 25 is a benediction and final greetings. So chapter 13, it feels like he wanted to quickly cram in a few more thoughts and finish his letter, uh, so this outline should help us know where we are. But firstly, we need to jump back to the transition verse in chapter 12, because the motivation to do the things prescribed in chapter 13 comes at the end of chapter 12. Uh, So we read in chapter 12, uh, verses 28 and 29, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably, with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. What is this passage asking us to do? It is asking us to worship God acceptably. That is the what. Worship God acceptably, and it gives two reasons why. Why worship God acceptably? Positive and negative. Positive reason is because there is an unshakable kingdom. Negative reason is because God is a consuming fire. We are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and the things that can be shaken will be utterly destroyed or consumed by God like a consuming fire. So then, chapter 13 very quickly fires out a number of ideas of acceptable worship. So what is acceptable worship? Here we go. We'll jump into it. Uh, So let's have a look at um, the first section, verses 1 to 6, about loving others, or specifically loving your brothers and sisters in Christ. And here's a summary Here's a summary of verses 1 to 6 to help us navigate this because every verse is different. So verse 1, love your brothers and sisters. Verse 2, love strangers. Verse 3, love prisoners. Verse 4, honour marriage. And then verses 5 and 6, not money. Five different sermons there and we're going to do it in one sermon. (laughs) This will be fast-paced. If you don't normally take notes, this might be the day to take notes. Pull out your diary or your notepad on your phone. Um, This might be the day to do it. The writer gives little or no commentary on each of these points. So I'll give a brief commentary on each, um, but the main point is this, love others. All right, so verse 1. Verse 1, keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Notice he says, keep on. He's encouraging them to continue uh, what they are already doing. He wants them to persevere in loving their fellow Christians. Verse 1. Verse 2. Ready? Verse 2. Love strangers. Do not forget to entertain strangers. Can't quite see the top of the screen there. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Here the writer gives a brief commentary, an encouragement. That is, you might entertain angels. These Jewish Christians, who know their Old Testament well, very likely thought of Genesis chapter 18. In Genesis 18, Abraham becomes the host. He shows hospitality to three men. Uh, who we later find out are actually angels. This is when Abraham received specific news that he would have a son within a year. This is big news for Abraham, who is now in his old age and still hanging on to God's promise uh, that he would have a son. 
So here's the thing. Abraham was the host. He's the one showing hospitality. So naturally, Abraham was the one blessing these strangers. But ironically, these strangers were the one giving him the greater blessing. By hosting these strangers, by blessing these strangers with food and rest, Abraham received a greater blessing. News that his son was just around the corner. So don't get caught up um, with the reference to angels so much. Just think, that stranger you are welcoming may be playing an important role in God's plan. And it may even be the case this stranger is bringing a greater blessing to you than you are to them. And so verse 2, we show hospitality. Verse 3, verse 3, remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. This is a description of empathy, uh, putting yourself in someone else's shoes. For these early Christians, they were being physically targeted, persecuted and thrown in prison. Hebrews chapter 10 from verse 32 onwards says, Remember those earlier days after you had received the light when you endured a great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution and at other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. And it continues. Even if you aren't the one suffering at the moment for your faith, we support those who are. And so verse 3, we show empathy. Verse 4, honour marriage. Verse 4, marriage should be honoured by all and the marriage bed kept pure, for God would judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Something that is honoured is highly valued. Uh, the value of marriage is so great that it should be honoured by all, whether married or single. Its greatest enemy seems to be adultery. At this point, and this point is given uh, with a warning of God's judgment. Judgment, of course, being something that should be uh, something that is very unpleasant and should be avoided. Uh, but being consistent with the way the writer has given his warnings throughout Hebrews, I think this warning also carries a dual purpose. It is a warning: stop, don't do bad. But it's actually an encouragement. This warning is an encouragement. Continue to do good. Continue to do what you are doing. Persevere. Why? It is all about what happens in the end. Those who dishonour something that should be held in high regard will be judged, consumed, while those who persevere will receive an unshakable kingdom. Big topic. There is much to say. Uh, for now, um, he just says, honour marriage. Keeping up, verse 5 and 6. Verse 5. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. The writer gives a negative and a positive towards money. Don't do this. Do do this. That is, don't love money do be content with what you have. A person who is free from the love of money is incorruptible. 
That is something to really dwell on. A person who is free from the love of money is incorruptible. Money is the most liquid form of possession. Money means food, holidays, homes, concerts, clothing, cars, phones, KFC chicken wings. It can also buy power through bribes and manipulation. And so it is easy to be corrupted by the lure of money. Being free from the love of money is to be free from corruption. Do not let money dictate your life. Let the unshakable kingdom dictate your life. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 34, the writer says, You joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. <laughs> you joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. Again, the writer puts life in an eternal perspective. Money and possessions now are fleeting. God's kingdom, eternal, so be free from the love of money. Well, I felt like I just give a 10-point sermon in 10 minutes. That was, uh, that was a lot to go through. Uh, and and uh, and that's what the writer did. He wrote uh, very quickly, shot out a whole bunch of ideas just to squeeze it in this letter, um, hoping that they might be able to catch the juggling balls or maybe go back over it again later. Um, but we'll move on to our next section to honour leaders, uh, verses seven to nineteen. And don't worry. Um, I won't be going through this section verse by verse. There's only one point, one point I will draw out. Beware of strange teachings, referring to verse 9. Beware of strange teachings. As a very quick overview, verse 7 talks about the former leaders, verse 17 about the present leaders, and in between, um, the false leaders are compared to Jesus. So the writer says... Remember your leaders, verse 7, talking about the past. And then he says, obey your leaders, verse 17, talking about the present. But in between, beware the false leaders. So verse 9 says this, Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange Teachings. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. To be carried away is the imagery of flowing water. Water can't help, water can't help but follow the path of least resistance. And water uh, can carry a lot of force. I lived on a farm as a child right next to my cousin's place and they had a river flowing through their property. From time to time this river would flood and the water would rise and move with much greater force. During one particular flood, my cousin and I were about chest deep in water trying to cross the river at its lowest point. And boy, could we feel the force. And if we lost our footing... Who knows how far we would be carried down this winding river. Just like the flooded river, if we do nothing, 
If I didn't actively fight against the current, then we could be taken down a path of strange teachings. If we listen to the sermons each Sunday and we go to the studies each week, but we neglect to actively read the passage for ourselves and engage our minds, then we are in danger of being carried away. And so we don't be passive. We don't just go of the flow. For fear you'll be carried away by non-biblical teaching. A real-life example. A friend told me the story of his early days after becoming a Christian. He connected with a church, joined a Bible study, and started to learn what it means to be a Christian. However, he felt something was off. So after about six months or so, he left that church. He said what they would teach and what was in the scripture didn't seem to match. He then learnt that the Jehovah's Witnesses didn't preach about the same Jesus as revealed in Scripture. My friend wasn't carried away. He didn't go of the flow. He actively took note of what the leaders were teaching him and found it strange. He moved to a Bible-believing church and today he continues to grow under good scriptural teachings. So what are these strange teachings? So we'll read from verse 9 again. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by ceremonial foods, which are of no value to those who eat them. These strange teachings have something to do with ceremonial foods. And I won't read it now, but as you read further through this section, the writer refers to an altar, a tabernacle, high priests, the most holy place, the blood of animals, and sin offerings. These are all a reference to Jewish traditions or Jewish rituals. So these strange teachings seem to have seem to be connected to Judaism. Maybe some leaders were mixing Christianity with Judaism, which is strange because Christ is what the Jewish rituals were pointing towards. Why continue pointing forward to a time that is now present? Why continue to offer sacrifices when the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus' life has now been given? The Jewish rituals, they're just a shadow, as we have learnt. The reality has now come. The whole book of Hebrews is dedicated to showing that Jesus is better. Jesus is better than the Jewish traditions, as found in the Old Testament. In the whole book of Hebrews, the writer argues how the old covenant under Judaism is now obsolete and the new covenant under Christianity has taken over. A quick summary. In chapters 1 to 2 of Hebrews, Jesus is better than the angels and the Torah. In chapters 3 and 4, Jesus is better than Moses and he offers a better promised land. Chapters 5 to 7, Jesus is better than priests and even the king priest Melchizedek. 
And in chapters 8 to 10, Jesus is a better sacrifice and offers a better covenant. And so he says, do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings that try to mix Jesus in with Judaism. Jesus is better. Avoid these false leaders. Instead, verse 7, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. These evangelists, these missionaries who showed you Christ. And verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. That is your current leaders who submit to Christ, not the false leaders who hold on to Jewish rituals. Today in Strathfield 9am, we may not be carried away by Jewish teachings, I would imagine. But the principle is the same. Stick to Christ. Verse 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So let us not be carried away by any kind of strange teaching. Jesus doesn't change, so neither should his teachings. So what are some of our modern day strange teachings? I once visited a random church, literally just by seeing a sign outside a building as I was driving past. Service was about to start, so I parked and went inside. I listened to a very Christian-sounding talk, but thinking a little deeper, it wasn't actually Christian at all. They would call themselves Christian. It looked and ran like a church service, preaching, prayer, communion, Christian words, but the teaching was strange. In what I discovered was an LGBT church, the talk, which was well presented, talked about faith like a box. The box is opened, we each contribute to the box, and our faith is strengthened together. It almost sounds Christian, doesn't it? But there was no mention of Jesus, there was no concept of absolute truth. We each bring our thoughts together and we are strengthened on our own. If you take Christ out of Christian, you do not have Christianity. What is this strange teaching? I encountered liberalism. Liberalism. Liberalism can be hard to pin down because by its very nature, it is fluid. Liberalism changes with the social norms of the time. It is considered to be accepting and relevant. However, by its very nature, it rejects truth. There is no absolute truth. And so like this gathering I visited, you have all the words and practices of a Christian of a Christian church service and you cannot be and you can possibly not be a church at all. So do not be carried away by liberalism. On the other end of the scale, you may get carried away by legalism. While liberalism is open to all ideas and practices, legalism is closed to all ideas and practices. There is a set way to do things, and that's what you do. In fact, a legalist is so focused on the practices, they often forget about the people. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 9 onwards, it says... 
And Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, the Pharisees asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Jesus said to them, If any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? Jesus quickly illustrates how ridiculous it is to deny a man healing just because it's the day of rest. Imagine a straight-laced lawyer today sees a firefighter working on our blazing fires today and the lawyer calls out to this firefighter, Hey, it's your day off. Stop putting out those fires. That's what the Pharisees were saying to Jesus. Hey, it's the Sabbath. Don't heal that man. As Jesus says in Mark 2, verse 27, the Sabbath, this law, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. If I see a toddler trapped in an overheating car with no sign of help nearby, I'll smash the window to save the toddler, even though it is against the law to damage another person's property. Legalists put practices over people. Do not be carried away by legalism. These false leaders were probably most in danger of legalism by mixing Jewish traditions with Christianity. From verse 11 it says this, The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp. So here's what's going on. Throughout history, the Jews were encouraged to meet with God in the most holy place or as close to the most holy place as possible. The Jews were required to make the journey to Jerusalem, to the temple, to see the high priest and to make, and to make a sacrifice every year. But here, the writer is saying, Leave the high priest, leave the temple, leave Jerusalem, the complete opposite. He is telling these Jewish Christians to do the opposite of their tradition for thousands of years. He says, the body of the sacrifice is burned outside the camp, verse 11. And like Jesus, suffered outside the city gate, that is outside Jerusalem, verse 12. And let us then go to him outside the camp, verse 13. He calls them outside three times. All those sacrifices conducted by the high priest in the temple in Jerusalem pointed to the sacrifice. The sacrifice of Jesus has now come, to continue these Jewish practices is to be carried away by legalism. Instead, go to Jesus outside the camp, that is, go to Jesus outside of Judaism. So lastly, the benediction. We might say that right thinking leads to right living. In the benediction, verse 20 uh, is about knowing the facts, that is right thinking. 
Verse 21 is about doing good, that is, right living. Right thinking should lead to right living. Now also notice that God is the initiator of both. It is God who brought about the events of salvation, verse 20, and it is God who equips us to live lives worthy of him, verse 21. And so we read from verse 20, Now may the God, it is God, now may the God of peace who, through the blood of the eternal covenant, brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with every good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Verse 20, God raised Jesus from the dead. Verse 21, God equips us to do his will. To conclude, we are to have an eternal perspective. We are to have an eternal perspective. Verse 14, for here on earth, here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. As Christians, we are not to be so short-sighted. We are to have an eternal perspective. For these Jewish Christians that the writer is writing to, they have known suffering and are expecting more to come. And so the writer encourages them to look beyond their present circumstances, their suffering. While they may be in danger of legalism, I think currently we are more in danger of liberalism. While they were living in fear of persecution for their faith, we are living in relative comfort and therefore in danger of being carried away by a watered-down gospel. And so we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. We honour our leaders as they faithfully preach the word of God to us. And we do not be carried away by strange teachings. This we pray. Amen.